Welcome to the Chime Opioid Action Center podcast, where healthcare leaders explore how technology is making an impact in the fight to end the opioid crisis. Here's today's moderator. Hi, everyone. I'm your host for this podcast. My name is Patty Lavely, and I'm the co-chair of the Chime Opioid Task Force. Today, I'm joined by a group of professionals that share our desire to make a difference in the lives of those impacted by substance abuse. Larissa Guerrero is the Director of Peer Services for the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. With a background in public health, Larissa leads the Recovery Peer Coach Services for the Council. The Georgia Council on Substance Abuse is a 501c3 organization formed to address the isolation, stigma, and limited resources of people suffering from substance abuse. This includes individuals, families, and communities. They are are a diverse group of individuals in recovery who organize and mobilize recovery communities and the peer workforce statewide. Aubrey Williams, a master prepared registered nurse and a neonatal outreach coordinator, and Reverend Karen Hoyt, a hospital chaplain for women's and children's services, both with Northeast Georgia Health System, Northeast Georgia Health System is a non-for-profit community health system in Gainesville, Georgia, that is committed to being the preferred and indispensable healthcare resource for its communities. With four hospital campuses, many outpatient services, long-term care, and an inpatient mental health stabilization and treatment facility. Where do you place these recovery uh, coaches? Okay, thanks, Patty. So our NICU Peer Recovery Coach Program It's a program housed within Northeast Georgia Health System, and it's overseen by the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. We, uh, at Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, we are the sole training and certification agency for our certified addiction recovery empowerment specialist training. What that training is, is a certification for individuals in long-term recovery to use their lived experiences and their stories as a way to help others find long-term recovery. Uh, Our NICU peer program is uh, staffed by people that are CARES. Uh, We currently have three peer recovery coaches as well as one program manager that works on the program. So we work within the Brazelton and Gainesville campus of Northeast Georgia Medical System. And our coaches show up to support mothers that are experiencing substance use disorder or are in recovery at the time that they give birth to their infant. So we get a call from the hospital or we go in and we speak with uh, nurses at the hospital and any time that they have a peer that is within their NICU, our coaches go in, they speak to mom, they find out a little bit about her story, see what it is that might be helpful in supporting her and identifying her own individual pathway to recovery. So really our main goal is to walk alongside moms as they figure out what resources they might need or what services they might need and able to obtain recovery. And the program was started primarily within the NICU. So it was only seeing moms after the point of them giving birth. And we've since expanded to be able to get with mothers while they're still pregnant. So now we meet with, uh, we work with OB providers as well as our local child welfare services, our family treatment courts, our accountability courts, really anywhere we can get where we can get in front of mothers that are pregnant and and are using substances or even are in recovery and just want some support along the recovery journey. That sounds like an incredible program. When you were working with Northeast Georgia to um, develop the program, 
what was there something about Northeast Georgia or is there something that you look for that says this this organization is a great one for us to establish our recovery peer coach program in because it has these attributes. Do you have like success criteria that you look for in an organization? Oh, absolutely. So this program was started as a pilot program and it was funded by the Georgia State Legislature as a line item in their budget. And we started the NICU program. It was really uh, an extension of our current emergency department program that provides peer services in the emergency department. And so what's really the foundation of this program is the partnership with the hospital. So it was the hospital that helped advocate to the state legislature to get funding to be able to run this pilot program. And we see that as, as the core, as the foundation of what makes uh, this program possible and successful. So we, we don't really look at it as a Georgia Council program. We look at it as a, a partnership between Georgia Council on Substance Abuse and Northeast Georgia Health System. So it's really the two organizations working together to create this program. And with it being a pilot program, of course, the intent is one for the program it's, itself to be successful, but also for us to be able to replicate it in the future. We've had a number of conversations among our teams on how we can make this possible, how we can help expand it into other NICUs and other hospital systems. And one of the things that we always come back to is, is the energy there. So is the energy already present within the hospital system that would support a program like this? Because it is, it is outside of the norm. It is a little bit different to have people in long-term recovery, people with sus uh, history of substance use disorder on, on site supporting mothers. It's a little bit outside of the typical medical model. So we wanna find environments and what really helps in the success is having an environment where the staff within the hospital are already supportive. They don't have to be 100% of the way there, but at least supportive of the idea of shifting a culture to one that's recovery friendly, uh, destigmatizing, one that's open to the idea of uh, a person with a substance use disorder being somebody that just needs support and just needs help, as opposed to somebody that should be shamed or guilt-tripped or, or made to feel any sort of way because of their life experiences. So again, what's been really helpful and really built the foundation of the program is the energy that the hospital already had, the NICU already had in, in supporting moms and being able to provide just one more additional resource that would support the, their overall wellness. So for the pilot or maybe even ongoing, do you have metrics that you measure to determine whether or not you're successful? Yeah, and that's been a, an ongoing process. When we started, we came up with a number of different points that we were, wanted to look at. So one, infant disposition, uh, where, where does the infant go upon birth? Are they, is the mother able to maintain custody? Does a family member uh, gain custody of the infant? Does it go into foster care? So where the infant disposition, where they go upon birth. Uh, we also look at whether or not the mother was using substances or if they had already gotten into recovery by the time they gave birth to the infant. We look at whether a mother is on medication assisted treatment as opposed to using illegal or illicit substances. Um, it, we really just wanna get a whole picture of, 
are we able to assist in helping to keep families together? And so we have this whole big database full of all these different points, a number of other ones included, and we're currently in the process of having a research project conducted on it. So we're working with a group of researchers from Emory University, as well as the, the hospital research team to uh, look at some of the outcomes. And the outcomes that they are looking at is more of a uh, morbidity and mortality. So 12 months post-birth, did the mother end up back in the hospital for any kind of health-related issue? Or did the infant end up in the hospital for any kind of health-related issue? So the, the specific points that we're measuring they're really expanding and growing within this pilot project. And we feel like we're honing in now and looking at the bigger picture of overall health of mother and infant. And then for future outcome measures, we'd also like to do some kind of study on uh, how does this interact with the foster care system or the child welfare system, looking at the more, the different aspects of how it interacts with the community-based services. That's very important work. And I, um, I can um, understand the difficulty in trying to measure it because some of this cannot be measured. But um, I really love what you said around the energy of the hospital that you're working within and the, the, the idea that we don't shame those women that are either in current, um, you know, in a current substance use disorder or in recovery and, and um, carrying child, a child or, or just giving birth. So I love that. And I, and that I want to hear now from Northeast Georgia. And I want to start with Aubrey, who is the um, uh, outreach coordinator for the NICU at um, Northeast Georgia Medical Center. Aubrey, how would you, how did you prepare for the recovery peer coach program when you brought it into the hospital. We heard from Larissa about kind of what's expected of an organization, but when, as you were getting ready for it, how did you prepare your organization to bring in a pretty um, non-traditional program into the healthcare setting? Um, preparing the unit for the peer recovery coaches was, um, definitely a process. And it began honestly years before um, the introduction of the peer recovery coaches. And it became, it began with our, um, our journey with neonatal abstinence syndrome and our care for NAS infants or infants that have NAS. And because we were looking at our length of stay for these infants because it was 37 days long. Um, these infants were staying with us for over a month um, when we had them on methadone. So we began, we began standardizing their care and began educating ourselves and educating our nurses on it. And then began our decreasing our length of stay and looking at more non-pharmacologic comfort measures well, what does that all look like? And it, it looks like getting those parents at the bedside. Well, how does, you know, how do we engage those parents more and how can we, what, can, what more can we do? And so it looked, we looked at, well, we've done all we can do for infant care. We need to do more for maternal care. We need to get these parents at the bedside. We need to do more for moms. 
And so at our NAS task force, we began involving the community. We had um, DFACS investigators, we had Avita community partners. Um, and really this is because we had one of our moms was uh, in a recovery at Avita. And um, honestly, she's the one that saw, made us, kept us honest. She told us um, that we needed to talk to her like she was a mom and not like she was an addict because that was uh, what she did. It's not who she is. Um, and that really just started changing our mindset and changing our culture of we have to do better and we have to be better. Um, so that's when we said, okay, well, we need this connection um, and how do we do it? And that's when we heard about the ED um, and their peer recovery coaches. And so we started um, borrowing the um, peer recovery coaches, uh, Ashley and Dawn from the ED and bringing them over. And um, they loved us and the babies so much that um, we got uh, Deb Bailey, our executive director of legislative affairs um, and got her involved with us. And she said, all right, y'all need to write a proposal. Um, and so uh, Brittany, our neonatal director and I got together one day and wrote a budget proposal and um, submitted it and gave it to Deb. So she presented it to state, um, I'm assuming with uh, Neil uh, with Georgia Council on Substance Abuse uh, to get the funding for, um, to be a state uh, line item budget so that we could get the peer recovery coaches in our NICU. Um, so it was a whole big process to get these inf uh, peer recovery coaches in our NICU. Did you find that in the health system, there is still a stigma around substance use disorder? And was it especially bad for the mothers? Um, that is a tough question. Um, but honestly, yes. Um, I'd be lying uh, if I said no, that we don't, there isn't a stigma. Um, and that's because every person is affected by substance use disorder in some way, whether it's them personally, themselves, whether it's their significant other, whether it is their child, their parents, whether they were raised in a situation with substance use disorder, um, everyone has been touched by substance use disorder in some way. Um, so how they deal with that is, of their own doing and have they worked through their issues? We don't know. And some people have not. Um, and that's where we have had to change our culture and create that culture of recovery um, in our NICU. And so within healthcare, we, it's, it can be a stigma um, just because it, was never taught in a specific light, um, which Larissa and I are actually working on a different project that hopefully we can work to change that um, with a different grant that we've been able to be a part of. But I would be lying if I said that it was um, not a stigma. Tell us about um, your leadership team there and their involvement. And did you have an executive champion of this program? 
Uh, our leadership team inv involvement. Um, we, uh, Brittany and I, the, my manager at the time, now she's our director. Um, we kind of hit the ground running and then asked for forgiveness later. Um, I would say that would be one of our weaknesses <laughs> if you were interviewing us. Um, but we did talk to our leadership team and say, hey, this is what we want to do. This is our vision. Um, we have to provide better care for our, our families and our patients. Um, this is where we see our care going. And will you be on board with us? And at the time, they didn't, they didn't see our vision, but they said, you know what, do what you want to do. And we said, okay, thanks. Um, and went with it and uh, haven't looked back since. And uh, I can't say that they're regretting it. So they believe in us and they support us 100%. And uh, our, the numbers are speaking for themselves and our culture is speaking for itself. So you are your own champion, it sounds like. And it sounds like for those listening, if you wanna get it done, you just need to champion it yourself. Um, <laughs> That's great. Pretty much. And ask for <laughs> um, forgiveness. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I, I would like to now kind of switch directions to Reverend Karen Hoyt, who um, is one of the hospital chaplains at Northeast Georgia. And I know that she's been involved in the recovery coach program. So I'd love to hear kind of your perspective and how you see this as a resource for the chaplaincy service. Yes. Um, the recovery coach peers have just made such a huge difference, not only to our culture, but also as we work alongside them as part of the interdisciplinary team. Um, one of our core values here at the hospital is deep independence, which means I can't do my job without you. And I've really seen the peer coaches in our NICU be such an essential part of supporting a mom going through uh, the withdrawal process and this complete huge life transition where she's decided to choose recovery. Chaplains have always um, been an important part of the program in terms of emotional and spiritual support. However, it is a wonderful uh, contribution to our program when you think that there's somebody that has already walked in your shoes that is there to help you through things that nobody else can comprehend. And um, chaplains are able to sit there and listen and listen to their stories. And a lot of these women have been through substantial trauma. And once they get sober, their ability to work through that, it, it takes a long time. And just having another person uh, on, on, their, on their side makes them feel more empowered. And so it's been so exciting really to have, um, you know, these one-on-one -on -one relationships because I often get involved with the mother um, and I visit the mother and the baby regularly while they're on the unit and I really get to know them and I have such a different relationship with them by the time they leave. And a lot of it is a credit to the program that we have here. It's like we start to see the, their eyes glisten and that there's hope in their voice. 
and when they get here, they just are so hopeless. And so to me, it's just a wonderful transformation that we start to see as we work with these women. And it's not just visible to myself and the coach, it's also visible to the staff around them. And it really encourages all of us. And we just feel that we're doing something we're changing, helping to change people's lives, not only their life, but the future life of their child that is in our NICU. And that's just a really wonderful thing to be part of. Karen, I know that you have worked in other hospitals and would you, um, does this program sort of set Northeast Georgia Medical Center uh, aside from other hospital programs that deal with women that have substance use disorders that are giving birth or their babies in the NICU? I mean, can you tell the difference in the care provided? Yes, I really can. The last hospital that I worked in a NICU, um, I found that the nurses were particularly very judgmental because they would stereotype people with substance abuse disorders or alcohol um, use disorders as lazy or not committed or all these other things. And how could they possibly do this to their baby? And so really what the chaplain's role was is just to help the staff work through it. I found that I didn't spend as much time with the mother and really get to know her because the staff nurse member or whoever was had that patient was really struggling with her own issues and that was very hard for her to provide compassionate non-judgmental care and I really think that it takes a, a village really to raise <laughs> a child in that everybody needs to be on board and I feel that there's a different culture here there's a different atmosphere especially in our NICU um, there's been so many trainings that nurses have had to go to. We have um, an NAS task force, which I'm part of. So I feel like everybody has been educated. And if there's somebody that's not on board, that person will educate that other person and say, this is how we do things here in Northeast Georgia. And so the predominant culture is recovery here. And because we get so many women coming here now um, because of the epidemic that's in our in our region is just such a difference to be able to know that these women might have a chance of recovery and a different life outside. And maybe these children won't have to be taken away and go into the defect system. Um, and they might be able to have a chance to actually have a family of which they may have dreamed of, but never been able to accomplish. That's great. I, I want to switch um, direction a little bit and talk about the technology in Northeast Georgia Health System. I know that you have Epic. And uh, Aubrey, we talked a little bit about kind of how you um, consult for a recovery coach, how it's documented or, or where it's documented, and how you use your EMR to document the event and to request the the coach, can you kind of talk us through that? Um, kind of what works and what doesn't work for that matter? The technology with 
uh, surrounding peer, the peer recovery coach referral process is um, the we created an order set. So we have our NAS order set and that kind of triggers the nurse to say, hey, the referral needs to be made for the peer recovery coach. Um, or a nurse can make the referral for the peer recovery coach. And uh, then that there's one main number that the nurse will call. Um, and then the peer recovery coaches will, um, they have their system on who is the next person to get that peer. Or if they feel like there's the peer situation fits better with a certain coach, um, they may assign that peer to a different coach. And then um, what doesn't work is that our systems don't talk to each other uh, because we have Epic and they have a different system. So like when we're talking about data and statistics or looking at research, um, it's uh, all Larissa and I and um, statisticians uh, or Bridget, which is one of our um, research team members, uh, sitting in a room for a few hours together, um, matching all of our data and putting it on an Excel spreadsheet to send off to the statistician um, or doing all the data work ourselves. So um, yeah, Epic is a wonderful thing that we can pull our data from. Um, but, uh, and we can notate who are the peer recovery coaches for um, each patient so that um, from a nursing side and a medical side, we can see that the patient has peer recovery coach assigned to them. Um, but we can't see their notes. They can't see our notes, which can be a good thing. So the information is private, um, but from a data side, we don't see each other information. So from the, um, the other side of that, Larissa, from the Georgia Council on Substance uh, Abuse, how does that lack of connection impact you and your coaches and how you deliver care? So I think about it in two different ways. One, the way that Aubrey mentioned with the, the data collection aspect and analyzing the data, it makes that part really challenging. But when we started the program, it was set up that way intentionally just to, I guess, well, for a number, number of reasons, but mainly being that we wanted to keep the roles very separate. So when we go into an encounter with a mother, we don't want to go into it having our own preconceived idea of, of what the mother's situation might be. So it sets it up for our coaches to be able to go in there. Yes, they might talk to the nurse beforehand and get a couple of details about the peer, but they really go into it without knowing the peer's history. And the peer is then able to share what they choose to share. They're able to frame their story as they prefer to frame it and be able to speak their truth. So there's goods and bad, bads to it, um, uh, positives and negatives to it. I think one of the things that we really appreciate about, about it though, is that it allows us to go in completely neutral, complete, uh, not carrying any other biases with us and really just be able to listen to the mom and hear out the mom side of it and build a connection with mom from that single moment going forward. Are there any issues around um, privacy and confidentiality of the patient, um, patient information and that 
around substance abuse that is also a concern? Mm -hmm. Yes, and that was part of it as well when we got it started, why we kept it separate. So peer support is still relatively new. Um, and we've been operating within a hospital system since 2017 when we started our emergency department program. And getting into direct services was new for Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. We've been around 20 years, but actually providing direct services was still a new thing for us. And it, so there's all, like you mentioned, there's HIPAA, there's 42 CFR Part 2. These, there's all these other privacy parts that go into it. And in order to have our coaches be able to just focus on the encounter and not have to worry about the additional privacy aspects of it, we kept it separate. Um, at this point, though, all of our coaches, of course, when we started, they went through the hospital HIPAA training. But now we have our own HIPAA compliancy group where we go through separate trainings that teaches all the ins and outs of HIPAA, as well as all the ins and outs of 42 CFR Part 2. But that took us a little bit of time to, um, to really hone in on that so that when these other projects do come about where we do need to share data, where we do need to possibly see a face sheet from the hospital, um, now all of our staff are entirely trained on that and able to do so in an ethical ethical way that does maintain the privacy of the, of the peer, of the individual. One okay. more thing, I expect as we go forward, the more we're doing these data exercises and spending hours working on it, um, we have agreements and MOUs, uh, memorandums of understanding in place with the hospital that covers both sides on the data sharing. So we have agreements uh, sharing patient information that makes it okay. And I, I expect that as we go further along, um, we might start sharing more data or finding ways to, to merge our databases in some way that makes it easier to evaluate outcomes. Um, so I see that in the future that we would just get more, more involved in that part. That's great. Karen, as a member of the care team for these patients or peers that we're talking about, does this lack of data integration impact the way that you care for the patient in any way, uh, positively or negatively? It doesn't really influence me negatively, really, because the patient for us is just the patient that's going through the trauma or going through the crisis. You know, we're more interested in how are they coping with this? How are they dealing with this? And a lot of what we do is listen and build trusting relationships. So a lot of what they say to a chaplain isn't actually something that we're going to be sharing with anyone else. We feel like we might be one of the only people that they can sit and talk to other than the peer coach while they're in the hospital. And so we can also make referrals to other resources um, if, that's, if that's an immediate need. But usually the nurse is really good about taking care of that. So no, it doesn't really affect us in that respect. This is Aubrey. Um, the really only impact that I, that I feel like it has currently is that I wish that when we could make an automatic referral and would go to their system. Like to where I see that sometimes patients can get missed or sometimes not an afterthought, but a patient can be in the hospital for um, 12 to 24 hours. And they're like, oh man, we need to call the peer recovery coach. They haven't, we haven't made that referral yet. 
um, to where it's not an automatic referral into their system and they're automatically notified that the patient's in our system and at the hospital to where they know to come see them. Um, that's where I see if our systems talk to each other, that it would be absolutely fantastic. Um, and that's the one yeah, downside that, that I see of the systems not talking to each other right mm -hmm. now. That makes sense. And I think that there could also be that message back saying, yes, we have it. Someone will be there, you know, within four hours or six hours or whatever to give you some expectation. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we talk about often um, at the Chime Opioid Task Force meetings and, and various other venues is the idea that um, we have all the information around that person so that if they ever show up anywhere, you know, if they end up back in the emergency department, that they have an idea of their substance use when they're treating them um, and they know what they're dealing with and that we have so many um, different silos of data. Uh, for example, if someone overdoses and they uh, an ambulance is called, they are, um, you know, recovered with Narcan or something, and then they refuse to go to the hospital, the hospital would never know that that happened. But then they could end up in the emergency room that night. Um, so it's, we're really looking at how we can sort of bring together all the data so that we make sure that when a person does show up in any venue, that they have a better picture of, of what the person's struggling with. Um, but I do see in your case, in this program, even just some efficiency um, opportunities, as you said, Aubrey, I think that's a great point. And then of course, the statistics and the research that you're doing, would it would also help that. Um, I, this is a great program. And um, you know, I failed to say at the beginning of this podcast that it is, although you do this in the emergency department, this was focused on the NICU. Um, this is, I think, a little bit of a, um, a newer way of dealing with um, uh, mothers that are addicted and uh, in the hospital setting, and I applaud you all for doing it. I would like to take a few minutes to hear a success story. Larissa is going to introduce one of the coaches who is going to tell us about a real live success story. And today we have Alexis Pitts with us. She's been working on our NICU program for right around a year now and just has been an incredible addition to the team. She has a very profound story herself of triumph and overcoming circumstances in her own substance use addiction. And she's going to share with us today a couple of stories about working with moms. Thank you, Larissa. Um, I have several that I can share. Um, I don't I have three, but I can start with the first one. Um, this peer was, the referral came from Brazelton. She ended up delivering in Gainesville. She was 24 weeks pregnant with no prenatal care. Um, by the time I had gotten the referral, the peer had been discharged from the hospital. So it took me several weeks to get in contact with her. Um, it was very brief, kind of short and sweet. Um, so I just kind of let it be on her time. And a couple of weeks later, she ended up calling me back and said that the only reason that she called me back was because her probation officer told her to. And I said, well, that's okay. And um, so I didn't really talk to her much 
through that part of her pregnancy, but she did reach out on her own like a week and a half before she was getting ready to deliver her son. Um, and I told her, you know, to let me know when she was going to deliver and that I would come up and support her and visit with her. And I ended up meeting her once she delivered in Gainesville. And I sat with her for probably three hours. And the funny part about the story, I guess, is what kind of made our connection is that she thought she was going to have a son and she gave birth to a 10 pound baby girl. So um, that kind of had her, you know, through for a loop. She didn't have anything for a little girl. She had all kind of stuff for a boy. So she's like, I don't know how in the world I'm going to, how I'm going to do this. So um, while in that three hours, I sat in there with her and she just told me all of this stuff about herself. And, you know, she said, the reason I didn't really talk to you at first, she's like, cause I thought you were out to get me. I thought you were defects. And she opened up about her other children. She had other children that had been adopted. So, you know, we kind of shared that experience too. And, um, she is doing extremely well. She's on, um, probation for her mental health disabilities. And, you know, she is taking care of that. She's been through a lot um, since her daughter was born. Her fiance has gone to jail. Um, her mother has just recently passed away. So she, she's found herself like, you know, she made a comment to me, this is what makes people want to get high, but I'm not, I'm not going to. And she said, if the one thing that I hold on to is my daughter, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And, um, just to hear, you know, from the beginning of her story to where she's at now, I think that is very powerful because you don't realize, you know, in your active addiction, like how much control that it can have over you. So just to watch her and how far she's come and like to see herself, she gives herself credit now. And she, you know, she's made the comments like, you know, if I would have known that I was going to love her so much when I, you know, when she was born, I would have done things differently. Um, and that just really touched me because I can totally relate to what she was saying. Um, she has been in recovery for a little over six months now, and she's doing well. She had a defects case. Her case is closed, and she has custody of her daughter now. So do y'all want me to share another one or just that one? Yeah, go ahead with one more. Okay. So I have a recent, um, this one's going to be very short, but this is a recent peer that I did the initial with um, last Sunday. She was, she came in 38 weeks pregnant. Um, she was still on labor and delivery. And when I went in to see her, she kind of, she immediately opened up with her story. Like once I told her who I was and she is originally from West Virginia and she has no family or anything here. Her, her boyfriend's family is from down here. Um, so she came here before delivery to try to get on her feet. Um, and she had told me, you know, that she was on Subutex in the beginning of this pregnancy. And then it just got really hard for her to be able to find it. So she had started using heroin during her pregnancy. Um, and she was scared to death about what was to come and, you know, I'm always normally pretty open and upfront, you know, and I ask them, like, has anybody told you, you know, about NAS or has anybody mentioned social work or what that could look like? And sometimes they say no. So I don't go in and tell them, you know, exactly what it's going to be, but I can give them an idea just so that they're aware because all of those things are extremely scary, especially when you've never dealt with them before. Um, she, uh, 
she was down here alone. Her, her boyfriend and her daughter were still in West Virginia and she had been here with his parents for maybe two weeks. She was still fairly new. And um, she ended up delivering her baby. Her baby did have symptoms of NAS and um, DFACS did get involved. And she was um, interested in getting on medical assisted treatment um, before the baby was born. We had talked about that and the hospital had given her resources and I had also given her some resources to call. Um, I went down to the NICU probably three days later to see her and the social worker was in the room with her and the look on her face, she was so scared that she wasn't going to be able to take her baby home. And the look on her face when the caseworker walked out, like she, you could just tell she was so relieved, like, I don't deserve this. Um, I don't know why I'm so blessed. And it, it just gave me cold chills because, you know, I'm one of those people, too, that always go to worst case scenario. So she was discharged from the hospital yesterday, and I believe that her son was discharged with her, and she had her first appointment for medical assisted treatment this morning so that she could continue to do that. Um, she will be staying with her boyfriend's parents. They told her she could stay there as long as it took, you know, for her to get on her feet. And, you know, I've only known her for a week, but I'm, I'm very proud of her. And just to be able to be somebody that can kind of be in that moment with them and be the person that they know that they can trust because I've been through similar situations too. I think that that's what breaks that barrier is versus somebody that's never been through what she went through versus somebody that does. The relationship between a peer and a peer coach is probably one of the most beautiful things that I've ever had to experience in my life. Wow, thank you, Alexis. Those are really powerful stories, especially speaking to how much this program is needed in Northeast Georgia Medical Center and all NICUs around the, the country. So thank you all for everything you do and for making this happen for your community. And we really appreciate you participating in this podcast.